falling in love with Jesus. Today we're in 2 Kings chapter 18. Man, I am just, oh, I'm, I'm just, I'm just ready. Whoo, I'm ready. Oh, man, I'm just, just so excited. I mean, you see just one little nugget in the Word of God, and it's like, oh, just mind, life, heart exploding. And um, I got one of those little nuggets for me this week, and, and um, maybe it'll be for you too. But um, here we are, 2 Kings chapter 18. 2 Kings chapter 18. We're just going to start by reading verses 1 through 3 in 2 Kings chapter 18. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king. And he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abai, the daughter of Zechariah. We'll go to verse 3. Did I say that already? And he did what was right. Everybody say, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Oh, that's a beautiful thing. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. Let's pause there for a moment, and again, as we start this message today, types and shadows and symbolically teaching us and showing us truth and life principles that we can take into our walk with Christ today, and we're going to give, we're starting in 2 Kings, and we're going to end in 2 Corinthians today, so, so track with me today, and I always believe that that it's good, if at all possible, to connect the old with the new when we're bringing it, teaching it, preaching it, admonishing it, to be able to bring that full relevance to our walk with Christ today. But here we are talking about in King, in Second Kings chapter 18, we're going to be looking, focusing on a little bit of Hezekiah and a little bit broader on leadership, being leaders in the house of God, being leading in our households, leading in our community, leading in, in our church. And when we talk about this kind of leader that we begin to see in 2 Kings 18, talking about Hezekiah specifically today, we're talking about a, a king who came into his kingship, into his office, with a heart for God, it's important when we see in the Word of God that it says that they did what was pleasing in the sight of the Lord. It was not something that was even common or the majority of the kings, both of Israel especially and that of Judah. There was more that did what was evil in the sight of the Lord than whom did what was right in the sight of of the Lord, but with being that God always keeps for himself a remnant, the Lord always, for the sake of his servant David, always brought kings after some time of, of maybe some generations, after maybe multiple generations, God would again then raise up a king who would come into the leadership of his nation and begin to restore both God's kingdom and God's house. There were many different kings, but each king had a, had a choice that they had to make when they came into the throne. They all had to decide right away when they came into the throne what kind of king they were going to be. 
where they were going to be, whether they were going to be one who, again, was going to walk in the ways of the Lord or whether they were going to be one who was perhaps in more cases than not follow the poor leadership of the king before them, oftentimes their daddy, oftentimes their, their, their father, or if not, if it was some sort of overthrow, you know, but they're always sort of in the family, sons against brothers, brothers against fathers, and, you know, I mean, just the whole thing was a mess oftentimes, but every king, when he came into that throne, he had to decide whether he was going to be a king that was going to walk in the ways of the Lord. And, and if, like Hezekiah, he wanted to be a king that was going to walk in the ways of the Lord, being that type of a leader requires that we lead in a way that brings restoration. Everybody say restoration. restoration. A leader, a godly leader in the family of God and the household of God is one that is looking to bring restoration into their family, church, community, house, and here with Hezekiah into the kingdom. Restoration always includes, there's always a few things that restoration, to keep it simple today, there's always a few things that restoration um, involves. And you can go back and track this all the way back throughout the old, but you can see that restoration will always involve the restoration of worship. Go back to the times where the temple was destroyed, whether it was the Babylonians, whether it was others. The temple had to be rebuilt. They had to come in there and restore the worship. There had to be a restoration of the word. Ezra would come in, and Ezra really taught them. When Ezra came in and the whole rebuilding of the walls, I mean, before the walls were ever rebuilt with Nehemiah, I mean, Ezra and I'm forgetting my, my guy's name that I always teach on that rebuilt that temple. Thank you so much. The rubber bell. And you see, that's why you teach people so they can remind you later. <laughs> and, uh, and so you've got one building the temple. You've got one rebuilding Ezra, rebuilding the, the teaching of the word. And you've got Nehemiah actually rebuilding the structure and rebuilding the walls and the protection and all of the city. And so you've got the rebuilding of worship. You've got the, the restoration of the word. You always have the restoration of the tithe. We teach that all throughout. The, you see, whenever Israel or whenever the people of God would fall away from the, the Lord, that people would stop bringing the offerings and stop bringing the tithe into the house of the Lord. The priests would just have to go back to the fields. They have to start working secular jobs. Why? So that they could eat. Everybody say, so that they could eat. So the, a king or prophet would scribe would come in, bring restoration, restore the giving in the household of the Lord so that the priest could once again begin to tend to both the worship of God as well as the caring of the people. But then there's something else that began to happen with the restoration of these kingdoms. And we're going to continue to read now in verse 4. It's the removal. And we see in verse 4 it says, And he removed... He removed the high places and broke the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden image and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nahashtan. Verse 5. 
He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among the kings of Judah, nor who were before him. Keep in mind, those who were before him was when the nation of Israel was divided. So it's talking specifically of the kings of Judah. Because after Solomon, the nation was divided into Israel and Judah. Hezekiah, being the king of Judah, being the king in which where the tabernacle, the tent of tabernacle or the temple was in Jerusalem, that he was the example, apart from David as a king of Judah, he was the gold standard. And with the restoration of all these things that always took place when a true leader and a follower of God came into office, also the removal of high places and sacred things throughout the land had to begin to be removed. Now, this was a key part of, of true leadership because what we see with the restoration, including the tearing down of high places, it was not every king who responded the same way in tearing down the high things in the high places in the kingdom. Not every king would go and do it. As a matter of fact, let's not even focus on, we're not even talking about the evil kings today. Not even all the kings whom the word of God said that they did what was pleasing in the sight of the Lord. Kings of Judah such as Jehoshaphat that we sing songs about. Kings such as Joash who we think Josiah was the youngest king to ever come into reign. How old was Josiah? Eight. You know how old Joash was? Isn't that interesting? We all know Josiah. We don't know Johash. Johash was seven when he came into kingship of Judah. Not only was he seven, he was, he was the sole remaining heir that when the predecessor, the, actually the mother of the son who died and she wanted to take over, she had all the family executed. Johash was was, I want to say, one years old, maybe two years old at the time. And his nursing maid, which was his aunt, took him. And guess where Johash got raised up for the next six years? He got raised up in the courts of the Lord. He was hidden in the house of God and was raised up for the next six years until he was age seven. And then he came into the kingship at age seven. Well, naturally, being raised up in the household of God after even having an evil family lineage, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord as a king. At seven years old, I mean, it's never too early. Can somebody say amen? amen. It's never too early. Joash, at seven years old, is recorded as doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. However, Jehoshaphat, Joash, um, I think... Um, Ahi, there was, about, there was about four or five of them who did what was right in the sight of the Lord, Johash, oh, I'm sorry, Azariah and Jothan, that did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, except they didn't go through the land 
and start tearing down the high places. I want you to hear what we're going to be talking about just for a little while today because if you think for a second, oh, this is just some really cool, you know, historical Old Testament stuff, you know, just take it and, and hear what the Holy Spirit is going to speak today because I, I, I assure you, I assure you that high places are alive and well today. I assure you of this truth. It's, they, they are presented different. They look different. They are, they are even worshipped differently. But high places are alive and well. And when a, a leader and when a king came into the throne, like, let's go back to Hezekiah and we're going to jump over to Josiah in just a moment. But when a king came into the throne, not only did he have to make a decision to, to do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, he had to decide to what extent he was going to go in doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Was I just going to do what was right just a little bit? Just enough to kind of get by and sort of be known as, oh, well, that person, you know, loves the Lord. That person does what was right in the, the eyes of the Lord. Or, or am I going to be a person that's more kind of like a Hezekiah or a Josiah that says, no, I'm going to be, I'm going to take this thing a little overboard. And I'm not just going to come on the fringes and just worry about the perception but I'm going to go to the full extent of obeying the Lord and, and walking hard after God and, and everything that that entails. He goes through the land. He starts tearing down high places. He starts breaking sacred pillars. He starts cutting down wooden images He's going through the whole land, and we'll pause there for a minute and begin to just dig into what exactly is a high place. If this terminology is, is perhaps a little new to you today. Let's, let's just, for the sake of, of being thorough, understand what a high place is. High places are these designated local places where the people, in this case of Judah, because we're talking specifically about the nation of Judah at this point, where they would erect and begin to worship at unauthorized locations. And they would begin to worship all kinds of other gods that actually weren't gods at all. And see, the thing is that the Lord, as when he set up the temple, he said, I'm, I want a place where, where the people will come and worship my name. I want a place upon this earth where, where the people will come and worship. You say, well, why couldn't people just worship anywhere? Well, the first reason why people couldn't just worship anywhere is because God set it up where they were to come and worship. God sets up the worship of himself. God has set that up. He has ordained it. He has put it in place. How we are to come before him and worship him. Thankfully now with Christ, he comes and washes us and cleanses us. And through Jesus now when we worship him, now we worship through Jesus, the heavenly, our heavenly father. But here at this point, when there's all these erected high places, and then they would put, they would put stone images and they would put vile things vile they would erect stone images that were vile of of different gender 
prostitute type of structures. And they would go through and they would create these little wooden gods. Sound familiar? When the people of Israel came out of Egypt and Moses disappears just for a few days on the mountain, they say, we don't know where this guy is that, you know, the Lord took us out of Egypt with. So Aaron, make us a God. And next thing you know, they, little gold God. You say, oh, my, it was big. Well, no, it, was, it, it probably wasn't that big, actually. It was just, just a little gold God in, in perspective of what big is. Just a little gold God that they erected to start worshiping. Here's the thing that we need to start immediately begin to understand. Is that man, meaning mankind, was created to worship. Listen to me. Nobody's sleeping. Nobody taking a break. Everybody tuning in. Mankind was created to worship. We were created to worship our Heavenly Father through Christ and the Holy Spirit, our triune Godhead. You were created to worship Him wholeheartedly and fully. When we don't worship Him and when we don't give ourselves wholly over to Him, we are all going to find and or create both something and places to worship. Every time you'll begin to worship yourself, your spouse, your success. Heck, you might even worship your failure. Matter of fact, you want to know a weird thought and take this, don't throw it right back at me immediately. Come back to me in a week or two. But people who are adamant about the non-existence of God, in a way, begin to worship the God of the God of non-existence. Why? Because we're created to worship. So that's why when the, the nation of Israel being, being a symbolic for us today, us being now grafted into the vine, into Israel... When the nation of Israel was not wholly following the Lord or worshiping him, they resulted every time into the creation of multiple high places in wooden images and stone images. They replaced the worship of the one true God with a whole lot of little false gods. It's no different today. When a person doesn't begin to give their heart and their life and worship of the Lord. We, we find things to fill our affections and our worship with. So these high places, they served as the litmus test for Israel's morality. If you wanted to know how Israel was doing in their walk with God and their, in their serving of Yahweh, Jehovah, all you had to go and is just take a, a little tour around the nation of Judah and you would be able to know real quickly how the nation was doing. Were people worshiping all these other images? Were they worshiping at all these other locations? 
So these high places, they were detrimental to the worship of Yah, or Yahweh is how we better know it today. It was detrimental to their worship, but surprisingly acceptable. Now I want you to think about this with me. Hezekiah came into his kingship somewhere, and we're not going to get stuck, but you know I like my numbers. Some of you like them with me. Hezekiah was around that 715 B.C., and he reigned to that around 686 B.C. 38 years later, and we're not going to read these passages, but I'm gonna, we're going to reference them. Go back and check them yourself. But 38 years later is when Josiah became king. Josiah began to reign at eight years old. And it took Josiah, was it 15 years or 17 years? For when the book of the law was, man, we might have to go there. Let's just go there. Second Kings. Second Kings. Let's just go there. I don't want to, I'm just going to get all paraphrasing when it's better just to read it. 22. I believe it's 22. Second Kings 22. Well, it starts at, yeah, you're right, Twenty. Oh, I'm in First Kings. I think it starts at 22. I think it, when he, but it, it's also 23. You're right. Yeah. Listen to this. Josiah was eight years old. Second Kings chapter 22. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidiah. I think, like that. Jedidiah. Yeah, Jedidiah. Jedidiah. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside from the right hand or to the left now. Now it came to pass in the 18th year, 18 years, there we go. 18 years later, in the 18th year of King Josiah, that king, the king sent Shaphan, the scribe, the son of Azaliah, the son of, whoo, and I don't like to say these words all beforehand, Meshulam, maybe, to the house of the Lord, saying, go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money that has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the doorkeepers had gathered. And they, and they let him deliver into the hand of those doing the work and who are the overseers of the house of the Lord. Still in verse 5. Let them give it to those who are in the house of the Lord, doing the work to repair the damages of the house and the carpenters and the buildings and the masons and buy the timber and hew the stone to repair the house. However, there was no account made because they were dealt faithfully with the money. And so the, in verse 8, the high priest, Hilkiah, went in there and said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found, listen to this, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. Now, we don't want to get into too deep into this, but here's what... Here's what I want us to, to pull out right now. Josiah, at eight years old, began to do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. It took him 18 years to discover. Now, Hezekiah, 686. Josiah begins to reign 648, 38 years, plus 18 years. Actually, we'll just stop at, at 
at 38, but then 18 years, so 48, 58, 56. We're at 56 years later when all of a sudden Josiah has this great big revival in Revelation that's about to happen. You say, where are we going with this? We're not going to get stuck on Josiah here today. Here's where we're going with this. Hezekiah, when he came into office and he was walking in the, what was right in the eyes of the Lord, he went out and began to tear down all the high places. Here we are, almost just one generation removed. 38 years later, when Josiah comes into office, barely one generation, they say a generation, 20 to 30 years. So you can, for the sake of argument, we'll call it two generations if you want to include the 18 years that it took for Josiah to come into this personal revival and to once again rid the land of guess what was all over the land again. Everybody say high places. Hezekiah comes in, removes them, clears the land of them. So that the land would once again worship the Lord. And here we are, barely a a generation plus over. And the land is once again filled with high places. It's alarming. How quickly a generation can be removed from worshiping. And from not worshiping randomness and other little gods that actually aren't gods at all and and once again allow our affections and our life to be drawn away to something that is worthless without any value. 38 years later, and the entire land is filled with high places. Once again, there was only two kings that reigned in that time, neither of which are on the list of doing really well. So you raise up a leader in a house, in a kingdom, in a land, in a church, in a family. You raise up a leader's raised up and somebody who's going to wholeheartedly follow, follow the Lord, teach the next generation who will then in turn teach the next generation without arguing the some of our theologies today in terms of of salvation i mean we believe when you get saved you get saved right does anybody believe that when jesus comes into your heart things are supposed to change And whether you find yourself 20 years later and that person who 20 years before had an encounter with the Lord and you're going to see something that that is going to impact you forever in a moment. You might have had an encounter with the Lord 20 years ago. And you go move forward for the next, you get married, you have kids. And without even arguing the security of that salvation, we're not going there today, so don't go there for all you theologians in the room. But let's do go here. Whatever we think about the security of our salvation that happened 20 years ago, you're not living it. You're not walking it. You're not teaching it to your children. You're not training up the next generation. How easy, and one could even say selfish, For one who might have been 
impacted by the presence of God and the salvation of the Lord some generation before and to not impart it to the next generation. It is entirely, and I've seen it happen now that I've been walking with the Lord, still my short journey of, you know, these whatever, pushing 30 years and a few years, but watching generations of people who had once fervent for the Lord, watching as now the generation that's now their response, they are responsible for having no desire, no passion, no evidence of even knowing about or caring about anything to do with Jesus. But there are a whole lot of other things that are very important in their life. A whole lot of high places. A whole lot of high places. We can formulate the list in our minds during playoff season. We know. We know what we know the things in our life that grab our affection and our attention and that and that become more important. More important than walking with Jesus wholeheartedly for all of our days. Hezekiah did something else. We read it, but we flew over it. Most of us missed it. He did something else. This was out of everything that he did. This might, oh, this might have been the most startling, shocking, unbelievable, how dare you thing he did. Let's go back to that passage where we were at. You want to know how to, how to impart what we have to the next generation to make sure that, that high places aren't re-erected, to make sure that our affection is not, is not captured once again, to make sure that our lives are not wrongly prioritized. You've got to be a, a leader and a worshiper and a follower like Hezekiah who took his learning from David, the one after God's own heart. Verse 4, Kings 18 we already read the first part of it. He removed the high places and broke the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden image and broke, listen to this, don't miss this, and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it. Who knows what the bronze serpent was? Who knows? Just know your Bible. You just, I'm going to tell us anyway. The bronze serpent was a thing similar to what we know a little bit more in the New Testament. We know of Paul's handkerchief, right? What happened with Paul's handkerchief? Hey, take my hanky, take my snotty hanky, and go lay my snotty hanky on people. And when he did that, people were being healed. I think we know that had nothing to do with that piece of cloth, right? The bronze serpent was in similar fashions in the Old Testament times when the children of Israel were in disobedience to the Lord, and the Lord just had enough of it. He sent vipers, and yes, the word says he sent vipers. 
He sent vipers through the camp. The vipers, snakes, yes, snakes, started biting people, Israelites, people of God. People started dying. Boom, 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 boom. Started dying, dying by the hundreds, dying. The Lord, Moses went to the Lord. Moses, as being a good leader that he was, Lord, please stop this. He interceded on behalf of the children. The Lord said, make a bronze serpent. Put it on a staff. He who looks at the bronze serpent will be healed and will not die. No power in the bronze serpent itself. Moses just being obedient makes the bronze serpent. And the people in faith look at the bronze serpent. And when they look at the bronze serpent, the deadly viper poison would then have no effect upon them. Somebody say amen. amen. I mean, we look to Jesus today and the deadly viper bites of the world and everything that we come out of have no effect on us. We live and we don't die. You stay looking at the bronze serpent, you stay looking at Jesus and you live and you don't die. What happened though? For 700 years, everybody say 700 years. 700. Told you I like those numbers. It just makes, it just, and again, a, a, a weird number. 700 years, the people, don't miss this, they took an encounter. They took something that God had given them, just a thing, just a hanky, just materials from the earth. They took that, and they made that bronze serpent a focus of their worship. They made the bronze serpent into a graven image. And they started worshiping it. They started worshiping that experience. They started worshiping the memory of, of what God used Moses to do with the bronze serpent. At first, I'm sure their intentions seemed all good. Let's enshrine this thing. I mean, God used this thing. And let's just listen. But as the generations began to go by in one century and two centuries and three centuries and four centuries and five and six and seven, and now Hezekiah is the king and he's going through the land pulling out all the obvious places of worship. And I can just imagine the day. Oh, the day when Hezekiah had the revelation, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, we're, we're taking and purging the whole land, but right here at home, we're worshiping a golden bronze image. And he tells his assistant, you go get that bronze serpent. And you get the grinder, you get the dynamite, you get the blowtorch, you get whatever it takes. And I want that bronze image. I want it ground to pieces. And he ground that thing. He ground it up. He took one of the precious antiquities. He took an antiquity, 700 years old. How dare you? You took one of our antiques. 
destroyed it. He destroyed it. Because he had the revelation. Oh, he had the revelation. God, if we could only have the revelation. If each one of us, just close your eyes. If you could only just tap in, in which you can, the revelation of what it is that's taking your affection away from Christ. The revelation of, of Hezekiah. Grind that thing to pieces. Rid its presence from this planet. I never want to see another Judean worship that bronze image. Yes, what the Lord did with it was awesome. Yes, it was a revival. Yes, it was a miracle, but it was a miracle 700 years ago. Some of you, your last miracle was 700 years ago. 700 years ago, your last encounter with Christ. 700 years ago, worshiping the, the, the fragments in the remnants of something that once was. Worshiping something rather than having a, a restored, vibrant, passionate relationship with the Lord God today. Pulling down high places, grinding to pieces areas of our life that keep on stumbling you. Keep on grabbing your heart. Keep on pulling you away. Because you leave it erected in your life. And you make God's out of the good that God once did in your life. Woo! That's for me. Y'all can take that if you want it. But I'm trying to figure out, I just want to, this is 2022, we're falling in love with Jesus again, people. We're falling in love with Jesus again, people. We're tearing down high places. We're tearing down sacred pillars. Yes, we're even tearing down the religious artifacts and the thoughts of things that once were. But we don't stop there. We're going to go one more place. Because you're like, okay, Pastor, that's all really cool. That's even kind of good preaching today. <laughs> but you got to give me something in the New Testament to kind of tie this all together. <laughs> Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 through 5. You can find a correlation for everything. All the new came from the old, just perfected in Christ. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For the pulling down, everybody say the pulling down. Strongholds. Verse 5, casting down arguments in every, every high thing. That exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Pulling down, this isn't just 
oh, pulling down and putting aside. No, this is the Hezekiah grinding mill. This is a pulling down and destroying every argument, not with our physical hands, but it's become a spiritual warfare. The weapons of the Holy Ghost that he's poured out in our life, the power to live and walk victoriously in God, mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds and casting down every high thing. Every high thing. Same high thing. It might not be a high place, so to speak, though sometimes it is. Let's not box it in. What are high places? It was places erected to steal the worship of Yahweh to the worship of other things. High things that exalt themselves in our lives. High things that exalt themselves in our thoughts. High things that exalt themselves in our arguments. High things that are not supposed to be left unattended to. If you leave high things and high arguments and high strongholds, if you leave them unattended to, the results are the same. But Jesus has given us the power. He's given us the weaponry. He's given us the power. He's given us the anointing. He's given us the, the vision. Listen to me. You have the vision in the spirit to see the areas in your life that are distractions and are pulling you away from Christ that might then in turn be pulling you away from those in your life who are pursuing Christ. You have the vision to see in Christ. Tune out the confusion. Tune in to the clarity of seeing in the Holy Spirit. To detach something and demolish it. Being demolished by the power of God, whether it's both external or if it's internal. Whether it's exalting itself in our thought life, in our heart life, or in our outside life. Hebrews 3 verses 1 through 6 says, Brethren and sisters, brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, you want to know how to tear down high places in your life? You want to know how to fall in love with Jesus? Well then, Fix your thoughts, Hebrews 3.1. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Fix your thoughts upon him. In other words, turn our attention away from these high places, away from these high things in our life, and let's fix our thoughts upon our Savior. Let's be partakers of a heavenly mandate. Not, not just sort of partaking and not just enough to sort of make life bearable. But let's be real partakers 
of the heavenly mandate, not even like Jehoshaphat or Joash, who did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but they left all the high places alone. Let's not leave the high places alone in our life. Let's not let anonymity, anonymity, anonymity. Let's not let ourselves go and isolate. Let's be known. Let's be a people who engage all of our heart. Let's walk this thing together and let's partake of this heavenly calling. Observing fully. Considering fully. Discovering. Oh, people of God. Let us be a people who continue to discover the wonders of Christ. The wonders of Christ. The wonders of Christ. Oh, if we could have, you know, there's certain moments that I know we all wish maybe we could have been a part of. But, man, that day, 18 years into it, how old does that make Josiah? 8 plus 15, what is that, 23? He's 23 years old. And he realizes, yeah, he's been doing, he's been doing okay. But he can do a whole lot more. He'd been walking and pleasing the Lord, but he had not been walking and pleasing the Lord to the full extent. And even in his day, golly, how long ago was that? 2,000 plus 600 and whatever, 50, 20, you know, 20, 22, so actually 2,700 years ago. He had the ability 27 years, 2,700 years ago to go all in. To go all in 2,700 years ago. He went all in. Hezekiah went all in. Josiah went all in and they followed the Lord as David followed the Lord. And here we are all these years later. Jesus having come, the Holy Spirit having been sent, the power of God residing in our hearts, the the baptism of the Holy Ghost accessible to all mankind, to walk in victory, to move in the gifts of the Spirit, to be healed and restored and forgiven, to to let the bitterness be all gone, to to let all the, the sin be washed away. Here we are all these years later with no excuse for any high place in your life to get the best of you. I've been mulling on a scripture this past week a few times, and I'll share it with you today, and we'll close. Worship team can go ahead and come. Psalms 127 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. In vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. Anxious toil. For he gives his beloved sleep. Hallelujah. Just close your eyes right where you are today. And I just pray that today, oh, hallelujah. I pray that the word of God made its way 
into some new places in your heart and in your mind. I pray that you're right now in this place, you're being challenged. Challenged to move forward. Challenged to to pull down and destroy some things in your life. I pray today that you have ears that the ears that have gone numb and have stopped hearing, hearts that have stopped feeling. Lives that are just a shadow of what we once were in Christ. I pray the Lord's mercy, the Lord's grace, the Lord's kindness, the Lord's love upon you to draw you in to that place of fervent love, passionately pursuit of Christ. In the name of Jesus. Lord, that you may have your way in each of our lives, in each of our hearts, Lord. That you may be glorified. team's going to lead us. We have lunch. We have an ABM in about 30 minutes, but we're going to take some time and worship and pray. If you need to come to these altars and just, matter of fact, I just want to open them up. I'm not, I don't feel impressed to just to pray at this moment for anybody, but I want to open the altars for you to come, for you to come and destroy some high places for you to come and grind up some things in your life and that's you and you just need a time of worship alone with Jesus I want you to come right now to this to this altar area and I want you just to come and just grind up that thing grind up that thing in the name of the Lord tear it down the weapons of our warfare are not carnal they're not fleshly They're spiritual weapons. They're weapons in the power of the Holy Spirit. We got to let God, we got to let Jesus, we have to let the Holy Spirit accomplish this work in our life. In the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you today. We give you all the glory. We give you all the honor today. In the mighty, mighty name of Jesus, I pray. And everybody said, amen.